Hello and welcome to the Vicar's Watch Dibley. The podcast where three priests link our stories with those of a Reverend Geraldine Granger and other TV vicars. I'm Kate. I'm Jenny. And I'm Ruthie. This episode, we're talking about the Easter special episode, The Easter Bunny. In this episode, we're going to talk a bit about Lent, about death, about funerals, but also about chocolates. And perfect for all of our talking today about death, Kate has got a rainstorm going on in the background. So this is going to be some interesting audio. It's lovely to see That's you both. How are awesome. you? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I've been better. But how about you guys? I'll get on to me in a moment. How have you been, Kate? Uh, I've been better. Um, it's been a really bad fatigue week, but, you know, that's mm. how it goes. But, no, starting to get back kind of into the swing of things, recovering after my really nasty cold. Yeah. Mm. How are you doing, I feel, how about you? Well, I feel a bit guilty because I was on holiday last week, so I feel... Oh, yeah. Positively refreshed. However, very windswept today. Nearly got blown in and out of everywhere I've been to so far. So, yeah. You should not feel guilty for being on holiday. Jen. No, like, I just meant because you've both had a slightly, you're both like, oh, I've had a really bad cold or it's not a great week. And I'm here like, oh, we're on holiday and now I feel great. I'm <laughs> sure that it will be a turned around at some oh, point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we'll, true. We'll come for you. Yeah, so yeah. true. Oh, it will indeed. Yeah. <laughs> So there have been some really good things that have happened this week. We have got an ordinand stay with us at the moment. Uh, so an ordinand is a person who's training to be a vicar, um, which is really great. And he's here for Holy Week and, and all that's happening uh, in the run up to Easter. And what's really nice is that um, Fern, who is staying with us, uh, we well no Toby's known him for about ten years or something, mm. um. Uh, so yeah, it's been a long time and seen this journey that he's gone on. So that's really good. Um, yeah, it's great fun. Um, but my son can't say the name Fern, so he's been calling him Bolo for some reason, <laughs> which makes no sense. That's so um, cool. Yeah, so that's been a good thing. But actually, the thing that's kind of taken over this week, and this is my I'm a vicar and uh, I'm a vicar and I really struggle with depression and anxiety at times in life and have been up and down uh, and on medication for various different parts of my life for about 10 years now. Um, And it's deciding to kick my bum this week. Mm. So poor... <laughs> poor Jenny and Kate have got me in my gym jams <laughs> because being upright was uh, how I, I managed today. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting there. But yeah, it, you just have to do the things that help to keep going. And it doesn't always happen as easily as that. But one of the things mm. that has been really helping is you, lovely listeners, because we've received a load of messages from people recently and it's been really, really nice. So we've had people from um, California and Australia message just to say that they're enjoying what we're doing. And we had someone message who was um, thinking about getting ordained or becoming a priest, which was really, really exciting. And um, so hopefully people are finding us vaguely interesting and it's 
not just our mums listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and, um, and we, we did something a bit different last episode, so if anyone wants to give us feedback on that. Yeah, yeah. that would be good. Very good. But speaking of last episode, we made some serious boo-boos, didn't we, Kate? <gasps> yes, we've got a few <laughs> confessionals um, to bring today. So we're going to enter now into... All of us. All of, <laughs> all us. of us. All three of all us. We all did badly. Collectively. <laughs> um, who would like to start? Uh, well, I think it was a combination of me and Jenny. Uh, yeah. Mixed up Sean Bean and Liam Neeson, who are very different actors. <laughs> it was Liam Neeson in the episode of Rev. I apologise. Then we went on to talk on about Sean Bean, so we couldn't edit it so we didn't sound like complete fools. But we do know the difference between Liam Neeson and Sean Bean, and they are both marvellous actors. So we apologise to them both, who are quite clearly listening to this. Obviously. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's their jam. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Jenny, you made a boob, didn't you, with uh, your comedians? I did. This is a reminder. Always do your homework. Always do your research. Yeah, I, I said it was... Um, I quoted uh, a comedian looking at the Genesis story, and I said it was Billy Connolly. It absolutely was not. I went and refound it again and tagged you both in it so you could have a look. It was Ricky Gervais. So very yeah. sorry about that. Not even close, really. So please no. accept my confession. Please absolve me, dear friends and listeners. Yeah. And I also have a confession. <laughs> um, I talked about um, funny parts of the Bible and I talked about the Book of Comma Prayer translations and i talked about um unicorns in the bible um and i've been instructed by toby who does our editing and decides <laughs> to do a bit more research into this that yes in the book of common prayer psalm 92 does talk about unicorns um and this is also in the king james version but it is a mistranslation and it should be oxen Ah, I mean that's a proper like nerdy. Um, actually, I'll find <laughs> yes. in the original it's mistranslated. So yeah, yes. we we did bad. We're sorry. Yeah, um, please forgive us. Me. Yeah, whoops. Fantastic. Well, shall we press on with what we're looking at today then? Uh, on trend for the current season, we're going to be looking at an Easter episode. We've fast forwarded season one, uh, a few episodes to arrive here. We're looking at uh, the Easter Bunny episode, the Easter special for 1996. Unmissable, really. Yeah, as our, um, this episode is coming out on Good Friday, so we thought we'll just mix it up a bit and make it mm -hmm. relevant. So I have our text. It has the Easter Bunny oh. incident. <laughs> um, it's not the Easter Bunny incident. That's the Christmas one. It's just called it the, Easter the Easter Bunny. <laughs> the Easter Bunny Easter episode Bunny. is in here. Mm. And so we can go through it and talk about the episode. And we start off in the vicarage in Geraldine's living room. Alice is watering silk flowers. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we get on to the topic of the Easter bunny, of which Alice is a firm believer. She is a firm <laughs> believer. And Jerry is, I think, trying to write her sermon at the desk. And yeah. she's clearly not wanting to engage with Alice at all. So she's very dismissive 
of yeah. Alice's claims about the Easter Bunny, but Alice just, you know, she digs her feet in. And, yeah, completely. Um, she quotes for local legend, um, whoever questions the rabbit but once, their firstborn shall be a dunce. Yeah, so Dibley Village, if you've not seen this episode for a while, mm-hmm. has the Easter Bunny, the Dibley Bunny, who comes and visits and... Uh, Alice is very mm. firm that this bunny exists and she's seen him. And Geraldine is, yeah, not not a believer at all. Although after hearing the, the dunce rhyme and finding out that Alice's mum questioned the bunny, <laughs> she's uh, a bit more closer to believing. Mm. But um, the whole conversation is started by Alice asking about, do you believe in magic? Mm. And uh, Jerry talks about Paul Daniels and... Uh, his significant impact on the magic world. Um, mm. But then it kind of goes on to talking about magic and miracles and just wondered what you guys thought about, um, yeah, how the two seem to cross over, but they don't cross over, but people think they're the same. Um, have you ever had that conversation with someone previously? Yeah, so Jerry describes it as the magical manipulation of things by the Lord God. Um are miracles magic? Magic, if we're talking in the kind of Gandalf magic swords and sorcery sense, is an unnatural manipulation of our surroundings um, yeah. to create outcomes which I guess you could say are miraculous. So conjuring fire or water or parting the way through a difficult area or whatever and in a way you could apply that same description to the miracles that we see of god in the bible Mm. yeah there's a a dangerous line Mm. isn't there because there's um it's when it's a when it's a trick Mm. then that's because there's uh, in the bible there's talk of simon the magician isn't there Mm. in acts somewhere and it's very much like no this guy is messing with um stuff that's that's not good um Mm. and so there's a distance from that but at the same time yeah if we're talking about Gandalf I was just gonna say on that as well at the moment morning prayer seems to be looking at um Moses and Mm. the different plagues that God sends and sometimes it says you know Moses did this particular act but then the magicians did it as well Mm. and it's like oh wow that does make things muddy I think the distinction comes in the source of power or in the Bible and the biblical Mm. understanding of magic versus miracle. Um, Magicians um, are limited because their power is coming from like the Baals, right? Mm. And the Baals are spiritual beings that aren't God. Yeah. I think is the best way to summarise them. Um, whether you want to attribute that as demons or not, or rival deities, we're not going to get into that. Um, But the understanding is that none of these spiritual powers are as powerful as God. God is the ultimate power in the universe, as the biblical narrative tells it. So the framing is that magicians can get their power from these other spiritual sources... 
but they will never be able to achieve what God can achieve. So when you have the competitions between magicians and agents of God, um, they tend to eventually reach a limit. You have levels of, well, we can do this and you can also Mm. do this. But eventually Mm. a limit is reached where the magicians cannot achieve what God is achieving. Mm. So a miracle is something so beyond the expectations of the natural order of the world that nothing except God can achieve it. But then I feel you you have small miracles in your life where maybe it's godly coincidences and things just line up. That's a more practical lived experience. It's a big topic, isn't Mm. it, to kick off our podcast (laughs) with? (laughs) We're going to talk about the Easter Bunny and then Mm. magic versus miracles. Mm. Yeah. Were you ever uh, banned or uh, church youth groups suggested you didn't watch certain things because of it having magic in or anything like that? No. No, nothing for me. Yeah, so... um... Growing up, I was really into sci-fi and fantasy. I still am. And because some members of my extended family didn't really agree with that, I had to keep it on the down low about having interest in those books. Mm. That's, yeah. It's a funny old thing, isn't it? I think my mum would have been like, you're reading? Oh my gosh, read more, read more! <laughs> <laughs> my mum literally... Like, try to do an intervention because she thought I was reading too much. Oh, that's so <laughs> sweet. <laughs> when I was uh, about 12 years old, maybe. Oh. Mm. The only thing I was doing too much of at 12 years old was watching The Lion King. I used to watch it back to back to back to back. So my mum had to confiscate the videotape. Yes, that's right, the videotape. Because it even came to the point where I'd eat my banana like I was had lion paws and like it was a piece of raw meat. Like, oh, I just couldn't get over it. But I'd cry at the same parts every single time. Yeah. I think I was addicted. Probably some sort of childhood trauma or something, I don't know. But <laughs> My mum, no, like, keeps going on about me. how obsessed I was with The Little Mermaid. Like, oh, really? She keeps bringing it up. Bringing it up how apparently I used to watch Little Mermaid back to back. Oh, maybe we, it scared me. It must be that e- maybe each of us has our particular story that once we connect with, that's like, mm. <gasps> that's our Disney. We're wedded to it within our soul. Maybe that's a bit crazy, oh, sorry. Maybe. I've got... What would yours be, Ruthie? Tattooed on me. <laughs> yeah, Beauty and <laughs> so... the Beast. You are such a Beauty and the Beast, yes. Um. So, yeah, and it still is. I talked earlier mm. about depression, actually. One of my happy places to go to is just to watch a Disney or Pixar mm. movie because it takes limited um, energy um, and it's familiar stories and it's just like a warm blanket sometimes. Oh, man. So, yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, could we do an analysis of why each movie is our favourite and what that means about us as people. (laughs) I'm sure we could, but that's going to take up a lot more time. We're going to have a Disney episode. It would turn into a sermon, I think, for me. But yeah, I'd love that. So on from all of of that, um, Geraldine does a slightly interesting thing, doesn't she? Yes. So I had a couple of moments in this episode where I said, whoa, and had to pause the episode and just process. So we're going to get into this. Um, my experience... Get ready, strap in, Get ready, strap in. My experience of this episode seems to have been slightly different to you, Ruthie and Jenny. 
Um, maybe it was the mood I was watching in, but when we were like doing our brief chat about what we were going to talk about today, you were both talking about um, the emotions that we're going to get to later in the episode, and <laughs> I really latched onto something that was just really um, I couldn't get over when I was watching this episode. Is there's a tonal shift with Geraldine in this episode where she comes across not as fun, light-hearted, kind, teasing, but actually cruel. And yeah. this, in this opening scene, is the first instance we have it um, where she is genuinely quite cruel and serious about it with Alice, where she threatens to spank Alice's bare bottom with a hairbrush for lying about seeing the Easter bunny. Which... Either it's really kinky, yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, what is happening here with mm. this dynamic? Usually she's really affectionate towards Alice and she'll go along with Alice's naivety and she clearly finds it funny, but she's affectionate and kind to Alice about it. But here yeah. it's like something in Geraldine has snapped, maybe because she's worrying about a sermon she's trying to write and she just doesn't have any patience for Alice. But she's cruel. And then this cruelty continues throughout... Um, we'll talk about the parish council in a moment. Um, but um, I paused it at 7 minutes 11 because when we're talking about things to give up to, for Lent, Geraldine is actually cruel to... Yeah everyone in the room are making some really um sharp digs at other people and the faces she's pulling um gurning at the camera and looking like she doesn't want to be there and wielding her crunchy bar and i don't know i just felt like throughout this episode it felt like geraldine just wasn't her wasn't herself and like she yeah. was being cruel and didn't have patience for people and is actually something and we'll get back to this at the end of the episode but I thought that would have been a really interesting theme to explore from a ministry perspective because that's actually a very real thing yeah I did I did notice that actually now that you mention it and um, that Geraldine seems a bit meaner in this and it's it's not as subtle her kind of mm. remarks and so yeah I wonder if she's just having a bit of an off week or something like that um but yeah I did especially when talking about the things to give up for Lent mm. it was quite pointed um but Jenny you're looking uh well actually with your camera you're looking quite ghost-like but <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's a sunshine you're looking like yeah. uh the you disagree. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I did get what you mean about the hairbrush uh, chat with Alice. And actually, instead of finding it cruel, I found it quite patronising. Like, Alice was trying mm. to stand up for herself, and I was like, oh, Geraldine, come on. But I didn't pick up in the uh, the parish council meeting about... Like, I just missed it, I think. Maybe... I think Geraldine has done so much. She's such a hero in my eyes. I can't see anything bad. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah yeah um, it is but is that something that w would we joke about that with each other no way no way would but you I, not oh. would you not joke about spanking me with a hairbrush <laughs> <That's quite laughs> <fun. laughs> maybe but 
Maybe I would, but I think it's difficult. But I think for the sake of the TV series, she says what we're all thinking. Like, we all know yeah. that Jim dithers. We all know that Owen swears. But I, I sort of got it as, I don't know, more friends and friendly banter rather than cruel dicks. But I'm going to have to rewatch it with that sort of hat on and see if it comes across differently. <laughs> with your cruel hat on. With my yeah, cruel I, hat. I, I just felt... <laughs> Like, when I was watching the episode, I had this moment where I felt it feels like this has been written as a very kind of self-aware dig at each of these characters by the writers. Like, Mm. normally, yes, we're all aware and Geraldine's aware and they're all kind of laughing and poking fun together at um, Jim Dithers, Frank is pedantic, Mrs Cropley is adventurous in her cooking... (laughs) <laughs> Owen swears and has an odd relationship with his farm animals, um, etc., etc. Um, That's putting it mildly. Putting it mildly. Um, but here, it was just named so directly and so counterintuitive to what I expect from a Vicar of Dibley, where in a Vicar of Dibley, normally you see people are, they are frustrated with each other, but they rub along nicely and they genuinely like each other beyond the frustrations they have about their personality quirks. Whereas here, it's so targeted, the comments, that, I don't know, I just felt almost like it hadn't been written by the same people, even though it had. Mm. Or maybe because I read fanfiction, it felt like it was written like a fanfic of someone who's trying to trying to write the characters as they know them, but not with any of the subtlety and nuance that yeah. the original work might have. Mm. We should say, just as a reminder for what's mm. going on in this episode at this point, mm. is that they're having a parish council meeting and it's it's the start of Lent and they're talking yeah. about what to give up as part of that. And Geraldine says quite pointedly to various different characters mm. what to give up. Um, so Owen gets told to give up swearing he's like i don't bloody swear mm. um <laughs> would you say bloody's a swear word oh, tough i personally would say no but i know many mm. others would disagree and say yes as someone residing in yorkshire i believe bloody's just a part mm. of a uh, general speak <laughs> mm. but yeah i have to say i know i can hear i hear your heart's cry caitlin about this um <laughs> This part of, as as one of our lovely tutors would have said, hear my heart cry. Um, I do see what you mean, and I am going to rewatch it and have a think. But something that really came out of this scene for me, which I loved, was that, although it perhaps wasn't done in the right way, they're all giving up something together for Lent, and they're doing it together. Uh, Someone made the comment to me um, last week, because we are in Lent at the moment, is actually it's really hard when everyone gives up something different and they don't talk about it. And this person compared it a little bit to Ramadan and how Muslims fast all together and then they break their fast all together and that everybody knows what they're going through and they can cheer each other on and, you know, encourage and pray for one another. And I just thought, actually, isn't that great? And I thought maybe there is a better way for Christians to do Lent that looks something like this, to sort of either do the same thing all together or to, you know, at PCC or parish council or, you know, even your warden's meeting or standing committee, like whatever sort of communities you're a part of, to say, right, what are we all going to give up this week and how can we encourage one another as we do it? Because it is hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I like that. I think that's a really good idea of doing it together as a community mm. and supporting. It's 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 tricky when if you see Lent as a giving up a bad thing that you do, mm. then um, that's tricky to do in community. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're working out what you do, but actually, if you see it as a you know taking up a discipline or, or mm. doing something to get there then that's a much easier thing to do i haven't thought of it in the the same way as ramadan yeah. that's really the other thing well i thought that as well from the, the person that commented but i also thought that how good an idea it is to have lent finds because i would have eaten so much more chocolate guilt-free in lent if only <laughs> i had a lent finds but i'd happily pay a pound to have a chocolate bar every now and then through lent <laughs> oh oh well never mind the idea of lent finds makes me feel complicated emotions because on one mm. hand i get what you're saying is this it's an idea of accountability but also it's in a way a fun way to do fundraising like you can say oh i'm gonna eat my chocolate bar whatever so i can pay a final <laughs> oh no i've sworn so let's put a pound in a box and, and at least something <laughs> good and tangible comes out of lent because i mean we lent and disciplines you tend to break them right it's really difficult yeah, I've um, definitely messed up with mine. This I week. have completely abandoned mine, I think, just because I'm lacking all creative energy at the moment. But yeah, I've actually been just about okay. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. Sorry. Good, Good well, job. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, everybody. But, um, <laughs> but at the same time, for me, so we talked about that what we're doing for Lent is each of them is giving up a vice or a weakness or something. Um, and in a way, they are bettering themselves during Lent. But in another way, they are getting at each other. It's a very odd mm. dynamic. Mm. Um, but is Lent just about giving up vices? I mean, the three of us are doing different things for Lent. We've taken things up or we're trying to adopt new habits or new mindsets. Um I don't know. I just it is Lent about giving up vices. Is it just about giving up vices? I always thought Lent was about getting closer to God and trying to give up a vice or something which you rely on too much can be part of that. Mm. Yeah, but definitely. That's obviously not something which is touched on this in the, on in this episode. Mm, it is more the practical outworking, isn't it, rather than the spiritual treasures that are the reason why. Um, but yeah, no, I think I do definitely agree. Um, it's funny the the vices they came up with. I think mm. one of the things that surprised us perhaps was their coffee being called the vice of Satan. <laughs> so this yes. is then we've moved on into vicarage. We, we, we're kind of cramming a lot of this together because a lot of what we want to yeah. talk about um, is the same stuff in these scenes. But so yeah, this is in a vicarage where Hugo has come to Geraldine because he thinks he's too boring. And um, doesn't have I mean, anything. It kind of is <laughs> because no, no one talked to him. He was just quietly pulling the thread in his jumper oh, during yeah. during the scene <laughs> where everyone's being pointedly targeted for giving something up, um, and he's felt left out. Um, and so he's come to talk about his insecurity. Yeah. About not and, having much of a personality. And bless him, suggests drinking coffee so that he can give it up next year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so sweet. <laughs> Which Geraldine agrees is the brew of Satan. Yeah, coffee is the work of Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Team tea all the way. No way. Mm. Coffee for life. <laughs> coffee when necessary, except it gives me major anxiety. 
Oh. <laughs> Is my heart going too fast like a little rabbit? <laughs> I have to say, before we do move on to talk about uh, Hugo and what he did decide to give up, because I think that's quite juicy, obviously uh, Geraldine is almost forced, she's coerced to give up chocolate because she's yes. eating a crunchy, she's got a massive slab of dairy milk in her file, and then <laughs> there's something else that she's got... Uh, oh, they open up a Bible, don't they? <laughs> And in, in the Bible, there's a cutout section for chocolate, yeah? Well, when I got yeah. ordained back in the, the grand old day of 2016, two of my very beloved friends bought me, no, no kidding here, oh, no. a Bible with a cutout <laughs> section for chocolate. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> perfect, it was like the perfect yeah. Vicar of Dibley ordination gift. So coming back to what we were saying just a moment ago then, obviously Geraldine's given up chocolate. I was talking about my ways of giving up chocolate. Um, but Hugo comes to the vicarage and he talks about what he wants to give up and he calls it a little bit mysteriously... It. 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 I've been thinking a lot about it, he says. I think I might give up it. Um, which Geraldine doesn't get instantly and I love that. And I was thinking, I haven't necessarily unpacked Hugo as a sexual being at this point i don't feel like we've seen him as a that sounds a bit strange doesn't it sorry <laughs> what i mean I like is that so i'm good. like oh right because i just sort of see hugo as like a i don't know I, we get some flirtations don't we with alice cordial. but exactly yeah becomes a bit more real at this point then we have this song he sung in <laughs> oh, <yeah>. the <laughs> about holding holding himself um <laughs> when it's cold and stuff. yes indeed um yeah, you don't really think of Hugo as a sexual being. You just mm. you, you've got the the kind of flirtation going on with Alice, but mm. it feels a bit more like a um, a primary school crush. Mm. Or yeah, like it does. That, it feels childish. Thinking, yeah, I would like to get naked with this lady. Yeah. Which the next scene actually, <laughs> like the next part of the scene actually <laughs> reveals, is not as innocent on Hugo's side. <laughs> As, no, as on Alice's side. Yeah. So, um, interesting. Jer- Jerry and Hugo agree um, that he will put a pound in the Lent fine box every time he thinks of it. Can we just say for the record, it is sex. Yes, it is oh, sex. Yes. Yeah. Or at least it's, it is heavily indicated that it is sex, or at very, the very least thinking about naked ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Not the bare naked ladies, as in the band. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but bare naked ladies, yes. as in naked women. Yes, <laughs> ladies who are naked. Um, specifically Alice, apparently, according to the next scene. But also oh, throughout, yes. throughout the episode, um, uh, according to various films that they've been watching. So um, Geraldine and Hugo agree that he will put one pound into the Lent Fines box every time he thinks about sex or something sexual um enter alice with a tray of tea <laughs> and some snacks and um some fast fantastic double entendres mm. double entendres double entendres double entendres um i know how you like it hugo hot and strong nice and wet <laughs> i've got a donut for you some chocolate fingers I just love sticking them in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sucking the chocolate off. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. I love it when it... Because it, it, it progressively gets worse and worse for Hugo. Bless him, he's putting a pound in the box even when Alice just walks in with a tray of tea, let alone when she's manoeuvring the chocolate finger in between her lips. 
And he's doing his best not to make eye contact. Yeah, yeah. trying to look away. And then he's like, I haven't got any cash on me now. I'll have to put five pounds in a box next week. I'll stop you. But uh, one of the things, like, going back a little bit, mm-hmm. is I like Geraldine's response of, I, the fact that he's thinking about sex isn't necessarily a bad mm. thing. Yeah. Because I think that's, I think that's definitely how I've grown up in church in a more kind of conservative uh, set up that um, sex was this kind of forbidden topic mm. that you you d- kind of talked about, but in the, you know, keep it into your pants till you're married kind of thing and mm. don't think about doing mm. anything beforehand. And then when you're married, have a, have a great time. Mm. Um, but it's not kind of like explained at all. And it, it's something that I think the church is still not mm. great at talking about is it, because mm. we call it, it yeah. we, we can't say mm. you know sex and arousal and attraction mm. and and all this different kind of stuff which is part of us as beings uh, you mm. know created by god mm. actually that's that's part of who we are and we need to be better at exploring it mm. yeah it, and i think it's something which is really hard which is a double entendre oh, something which, <laughs> it's something which is really hard um it's something which um i think because we might have grown up in more conservative settings or as teenagers i was part of a slightly more conservative group of friends um Mm. and i think when we were teenagers in the early 2000s the purity movement was still Mm. quite influential in more evangelical circles and i still carry a not necessarily a fear but I find it really difficult to talk about sex in a church context as an authority figure. Um, I'll talk to individuals, friends, just other people mm. in parish who I feel like I can be open with. But I'm very careful what I say about sex, about yeah. relationships, particularly as a single young woman, because... I don't know. I think because having been exposed to such a very strong and strict line of teaching and Mm. mindset, it's very easy to worry about if I say X, will I suddenly be Mm. kind of attacked on Twitter or or whatever for being being horrible and and heretic or whatever and for spreading the word of Satan. It's really difficult. Did you do the Christian side hug? Yeah, the Christian <laughs> side hug, <laughs> where you you couldn't mm. hug kind of full on. Yeah. Goodness me, you might side. accidentally brush against things and whoo, <laughs> shivers. But a but a, a side hug mm. that uh that covers all bases. So long as you don't have a cheeky bum squeeze yeah. on the way down. <laughs> then at like big Christian youth gatherings like Soul Survivor, like the free hugs thing where uh, people would yeah. run around giving out free hugs. Mm. It's just free hugs. It's not because we want to touch someone who we might fancy. Um, it's just free hugs and we're being friendly. Um, although I remember there was this one year who I went I went as a leader with a youth group and they had to make an announcement, like, telling off there were some young ladies who'd been going around hugging and groping. Oh. Uh, some of the lads. Um, anyway, that's yeah. what purity culture is. <laughs> so, uh, Geraldine and uh, Hugo have, have talked 
a bit about sex without actually mm. mentioning it. And uh, <laughs> Alice has been a stumbling block. Uh, no, Alice has offered biscuits and it's been interpreted, yes. interestingly. Mm. And then we head back to the council where uh, Geraldine is desperate to get some fines from people mm. and trying to trick people into uh, paying their Lent fines up. Mm. Um, which, yeah, was one of the moments, like you said earlier, Kate, I thought, mm, I don't like this bit of Geraldine. I know it's probably intended for a bit of mm. banter, but actually, you know, deliberately trying to make people mess up oh, isn't yeah. great. Except when David does it and yeah. he brings out the chocolate bars for everyone. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's so interesting because I see that completely the opposite way around. I thought what Geraldine oh. did was hilarious. Mm. And when David brought out the chocolate bars, I thought, you absolute poo head. <laughs> I was like, I honestly, I wrote down in my notes. First of all, desperately want a Mars bar. Second of all, I can't yeah. believe that he would do that. And if I was the vicar, I think I feel so strongly attached to chocolate that I would have got up and been like, I can't believe you've done this, David. I'm going. Can't believe you've done this. <laughs> <laughs> can't believe. Yeah. What I wrote was um, everyone's being very good with their Lenten disciplines, better than Geraldine. And honestly, I'm with David on this taunting Geraldine <gasps> with chocolate. She deserves it for trying to extort her parishioners' weaknesses. <laughs> Split. I literally was like, I'm wounded. I noted down, wounded for Geraldine. <laughs> but I mean, are you because you've given up chocolate? Though. Maybe that has is, something is to that do because with it. you are seeing yourself in Geraldine very much highly, highly likely your temptation and struggle with chocolate. <laughs> yeah, very possibly. But even so, I think we all have a duty of care to look after mm. one another. And so when he brings them out, not just for himself, but also for everybody else apart from her and leaves her mm. out on purpose, I think that's really mean. But then isn't David following his Lenten discipline to be nicer to people? But if he was true, well, if he if he was truly being nice, he'd be like Geraldine, you've given up chocolate, so I've brought this lovely apple for you, or this <laughs> or, or, actually, donut, um, or I've brought everyone donuts instead yeah. of apples. Donuts. Yeah. Well, that is that's very interesting, though, isn't it? Mm. Letter of the law rather than spirit of the law perhaps mm. but what we see is jerry is increasingly you can see that her lenten discipline of giving up chocolate is very negatively affecting her she is becoming a lot more pointed with people and she is clearly struggling with having given up chocolate and so my question is um should you engage in a Lenten discipline if it makes you mean and cruel to others? If it makes you grumpy and irritable, is that worth a worthwhile discipline? If we think about Christian values, or faith values of being kind and generous and loving, does doing something which makes us the opposite of that, is that, is that a good idea? Well, I I sort of think that actually you can give up whatever you like. It's actually how you manage your own behaviour around mm. your discipline that matters. So for me, for example, I've given up chocolate, sweet food, puddings, everything that's nice. 
<laughs> but um, I have a choice on whether I wake up in the morning and go, oh, I really wish I could have all the chocolate today and I can't. That means I'm going to take it out on everyone. Grr. Mm. Or whether I go, yeah, and I do this and, Lord, it actually really hurts sometimes and I'm weaker than I am. Would you please help me? Or, and I, or I think, you know, I'm actually going without for a reason. Like, I don't think Lent disciplines, if they do make us grumpy, then that's because we need to rethink about our behaviour, I think, rather mm. than the discipline itself. And actually, if a discipline provokes a change in us or hurts or makes us go without or draws us closer to thinking, well, what, why am I bothering to do this? What is Lent all about? Mm. Then I think that's a good thing. I think it's, it shows that it's working in a way. Who wants to do a Lent discipline mm. where you don't feel the pain of it? Oh, gosh, does that sound really terrifying? No, it's reminding me of when I was pregnant it's not a Lent thing but similar in some ways when I was pregnant it turned out I had gestational diabetes which is basically mm. where you, you have diabetes just over the course of your mm. pregnancy so you need to be really careful about your sugar intake and things like that and so I had to go more regularly to the hospital uh, to go see a dietitian to work out what I was eating I remember those days. I didn't think I had a, a particularly bad diet um but there were things like you don't realise how much sugar is in tin tomatoes mm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I had to be really careful about what I ate. And Toby joined me in eating the same things oh, as I ate. Oh, that's so um, sweet. He, I mean, still had beer. <laughs> and, mm. um, I w- I, but made that sacrifice of eating the same way that I was most of the time. Um, uh, as it, No, as in... Most of the time, as in pretty much all of the time, mm. um, but things like if I might have a bigger portion than I did mm. uh, and that kind of thing. Mm. And that meant so much to me that they had sacrificed um, eating what they wanted to uh, in a time in order to support and be mm. with me in that. Um, it's going back to, yeah, doing mm. Lent together, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And so, so I mean, I, I'm, I've been reflecting on Geraldine in this episode and I've already talked about how I feel she's crueler in this episode or at least more pointed or sharper than she usually usually is and it feels to me like giving up chocolate has amplified something that was already wrong just before Lent she was already showing that she was feeling irritable and um and it looks like she was using chocolate as a coping method for mm. whatever was happening to make her feel down and it's a really common aspect i think of ministry where it, you just have periods where everything gets to you things just come up at the same time conversations are misinterpreted there's some big struggle that's happening which no one else knows about Mm. And you rely on coping methods. I think particularly when you're single and you don't have anyone to talk about things with and you're alone at home at the end of the night throughout the day and you're trying your best not to have out loud conversations with imaginary conversation partners who happen to be real people. (laughs) Um, Just get a pet. The imagined (laughs) versions of people who you are in conflict with. And you yes, start having I conversations with them. And it doesn't help yeah, and, yeah. and it doesn't help because no. <laughs> it's not the real version of them. Um, yeah. but for me, at the start of this episode, it felt like that's where Geraldine was. That's why she's sharper 
with Alice at the beginning because she's trying to focus on her task and Alice is being her usual self dithering about and saying wild and wacky stuff while Geraldine is very clearly trying to get something done she's working yeah. at something um and she has gone to the chocolate as her crutch as something to make her feel better and then that's taken away from her and yeah. it just seems to be getting worse because she was already in a bad place so there are there were better ways for her to handle that there's a very popular meme on the internet about waking up and choosing violence but (laughs) geraldine could wake up and choose kindness although it's hard but because of wherever she is in her life and ministry at this point in time it's just not working for what you're saying about geraldine and her you know, got, has got her crutch in, in one way um, because I think there must be something going on in the background. Mm. Maybe she's just a bit fed up. Or, um, uh, Easter is a very busy time mm. for vicars mm. and there's always lots going on with various different things. And don't you find it's always at this time when you're low on energy mm. and things are happening that a big thing happens and that's what happens next in this episode yeah it is really chucking it down where you are Kate. yeah um, d- dear listener it is chucking it down outside and really <gasps> hammering against my windows you've got rain asmr rain asmr I, I literally have a playlist called rain and jazz which is the sound of rain to soothing jazz. Um, oh, I, I, listen, I listen to it when I'm feeling especially anxious. Oh, I try that. Well, the rain feels somewhat appropriate for what now happens mm. in the episode because uh, they're at the vicarage and Alice is being Alice and a phone call comes in and it's about Mrs Cropley and she's not well and has asked for the vicar and... Jerry heads over to the house and the whole parish council are there and it becomes clear that Mrs Cropley is dying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what you yeah, it's it's a really tough one and something that I liked but I think I might be alone in this is that when she appears Geraldine doesn't realise quite how serious it is. Mm. She just thinks she's a bit poorly and wants to see mm. the vicar. Yeah. And then uh, Frank makes it clear, no, she's she's dying. Mm. And Geraldine says, oh, right, okay. She makes a joke about April Fool's, which isn't appropriate. Oh, but, yeah. um, and then says, actually, I've, I've never done this before. And then goes in mm. to go see Mrs mm. Cropley on her deathbed. Yeah. And I liked her honesty in that to the, the, the group of people that she knows of actually going, flip, right, okay, this is uh, something yeah. I've trained for, but I've not actually done before, and mm. and now I've I've got to go do it. And it uh, is, mm. yeah, doing the deathbed stuff is hard. Uh, it is, yeah. Yeah, I did like that bit as well. I thought that was done well. And you're, it is, a, again, it's a huge shift because I think mm. when she and Alice in the vicarage, she says, oh, this is Happy Valley. Nobody dies here. Mm. And all the yeah. all the listeners, sorry, all the viewers are like, oh, phew, Mrs. Cropley will be fine. Alice is getting upset for no reason. Hooray, hooray, hooray. And then the next scene is like her in bed, clearly not well. And then obviously, yeah, she comes to, well, there's a quite an interesting and important conversation 
and this scene. And I have to say, I watched this episode probably about a year and a half ago. I definitely was in the place that I'm in now, which I've been in for nearly three years, so it was here. And I watched this episode and I felt silly, but I cried because it brought back so many memories about being with people in their last moments. And it also kind of got me thinking about when does a vicar truly get the time and space to grieve for their parishioners? There was a really interesting podcast. It was Giles Fraser, Kate Botley and Richard Coles talking about funerals and death. And Kate um, gave this example of when her church warden, who's a significant kind of member of the congregation and and significant support to uh, the vicar, um, she was on her deathbed and was dying. And um, this church warden just sounds amazing because she asked Kate... I know you're doing my funeral, but when's your chance to grieve um, for for this? Um, and so, yeah, Kate explained that she was going to, she'll keep it together for the funeral, all be fine. And then when she gets home, she'll um, open a bottle of champagne, she'll cuddle her children, and that'll be her time to Aww. grieve. Oh, and yeah. on the funeral, she did it, she kept it together. And when she got home, there was a bottle of champagne waiting on the doorstep that, um, oh this person had arranged to for mm. her to have, and that oh. was the point that she um, broke down and, and started to cry yeah. because it is hard, isn't it, when you've you've built these relationships with people, mm. and then often you're the person who then does the funeral, um, and yeah. yes, you're hurting and grieving for this person mm. that's gone, but you kind of got to keep it professional <laughs> to some mm. degree, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. And how do you manage that? Or do you keep it professional? Or I think mm. you need to, to a point. Um, um, and how you manage that is, is hard. Um, but yeah, we're not quite at yeah. the funeral yet because mm. Jerry's at Letitia's no. bedside um, yeah. doing the kind of last rites thing, which I think is a bit of a cliche um, scene in films and tv isn't it of going Mm. and doing the last rites and i have personally never done last rites for um Mm. anyone my my spouse toby has um so i've heard kind of experience from him but uh Mm. is that something that you two have done i've done um something which almost almost the last rites where i visited someone who was close to death and we said some prayers and i anointed them with oil of the sick um we didn't do last communion um i did i I did a hospice placement where i had talked about that with a chaplain um i think yeah and it's the last rites are a very strange thing because there's no guarantee that when you do it it is actually the end so I've known yeah. I've known clergy who have gone and done the last rites and one person's been fully recovered. Oh really? Um, oh. So, yeah, I've yeah. And to clarify, so the last rites are not really what we see in the episode. The last rites tend to be a conversation about what's coming next, helping someone to feel ready and prepared. But then you have prayers, you have um, anointing, which is a special word for um, using oil to bless someone. There is a more in-depth explanation of that, but that is a nice, broad explanation, a tidy explanation. 
Um, and sometimes then you will also in include a final communion, um, often a wafer which has already been dipped in wine, um, because usually by that point, um, and you just touch it to the lips, because then by that point people aren't able to consume anything. Mm -hmm. um, it's confession part of it as well. Because I think that's what people associate the most with last rites. It's mm. a chance to say, here mm. are the last of my yeah. sins to make sure I can go into heaven. Depending on tradition, I, I kind of said it quite broadly, you have a conversation about what's coming next. And so that, that can include anything which feels unresolved in life. It could include sins, um, will nearly always include um, an absolution. So a, a, an assurance that the person is forgiven. Yeah. And that God loves them, which Geraldine does do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can you can see she definitely tries to make sure she gets that. Yeah, Letitia yeah. makes her confession, doesn't she? I haven't led a blameless life, mm. Vicar. <laughs> Who has? <laughs> you can see Geraldine desperately trying to stick to a script. You know, she starts it off of well, who mm. has left? Yeah, lived a blameless life, but then um, Letitia derails the conversation yeah. somewhat. She wants to know um, about her cooking. Was she? Yeah. Yes. And the way that she words it about mm. being an experimenter and uh, all that mm. kind of thing, I'm like, hand on heart, I can say, yes, you you yes. have been a great experimenter yeah. in cooking. So <laughs> I thought that's quite And good. we may not have always appreciated your experiments, but you were mm. a great experimenter. Yeah, exactly. Although I've got to admit, this scene didn't hit me as emotionally as it seems to have hit for both of you i think perhaps because i got so caught up in the um tonal shift in terms of geraldine yeah and how she's treating other people that it felt for me like this is just a sudden shift um a sudden topic change and it felt so condensed that for me it didn't feel like it had been done justice and i'll talk about this a bit later about what could be moved around to give Letitia a proper send-off. Yeah. It just felt almost tagged in yeah. for me. I think she does a really good job, though, of doing the deathbed stuff most of the time. There's one thing she does that I think is a really bad idea. She promises something to Mrs Cropley on her deathbed, which is a big no-no in my book I think that's a really bad idea because you never know what uh, well she doesn't know what she's promising first of all mm. um, and um, yeah I think there's a better way to word it yes. Jenny you're looking very pensive am I? Oh, my face keeps yeah. on giving me away <laughs> I, I completely agree with it's like when someone says can you keep a secret you always say no um, yeah. as in like you can tell me anything and I'll hold it in confidence but obviously if it if you know if you're in harm or someone else is in harm then you know that's a really important part of what we do I think I would really struggle to say, oh, anything, anything. Like, I, I would really struggle if someone was on their deathbed and said to me, I need you to promise me you can do something. I'd probably say, well, tell me what it is first. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I'm just thinking if I was in that situation, I think I'd really struggle to say no. But I completely agree in practice. You're right. It doesn't, mm -hmm. you, you can't. But um, thank goodness the burden wasn't too heavy, I suppose, in this case. <laughs> it's quite a fun thing. <laughs> It's interesting because, at least in my experience, um, 
the people who I've encountered at that stage aren't really that conversational mm, in the yeah. way that Letitia is. Often, um, I'm a particular instance I have in my mind where I, I have done the sort of last rites. Um, really, there's a lot of repetition and dwelling on... I mean, and this person was just asking for it to be over. Oh, gosh. And that was a prayer. Mm. I, I just... I want it. I want to be with God. Now. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really a conversation in that sense. It was assurances um, and prayers and reading the Bible mm. with that person. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, I mean, particularly because that person was in a care home, so we were called by the care home staff saying, "Yeah, it's time." Yeah. Um, and and they tend not to call the vicar until they feel you know that the person is exhibiting the kind of stages and behaviours of exiting um, the mortal Ooh, coil. Oh, what a phrase. The mortal coil. Yeah, and um, what was really interesting about this scene, that I really appreciated. So we transition into the Howard Goodall Psalm mm. 23, which is the theme song for this show. Yeah. And Psalm 23 is actually one of the things you would read um, in the last rites with people you oh. read. Um, it's it's called the pastoral psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah. Um, it's the psalm of accompanying. Yeah. And it is the, the psalm that you tend to read um, on the deathbed um, or when someone is sick or at funerals. Yeah, and, I use it um, quite a lot at funerals. Mm. But the other passage that I use is from John chapter 14 i think um that is um in my father's house there are many mm. many rooms and mm. talks about jesus going to prepare a place um and yeah what does that place look for so the psalm 23 is fabulous and then we move on yeah. from hearing say that again before before we move on so i mean overall for me i feel like the last rites or um, ministry of prayers approaching death i would describe it as a painful privilege yeah mm. it's it's something which is a privilege to do and to be trusted to be able to have the authority to offer forgiveness and, and convince people and assure people and pray with people in their last moments but it is painful mm. to do oh uh, yeah absolutely and Definitely. there are there are certain deaths that are harder to deal with than mm. others and you need to make sure that you have space to deal with that so if it's a you know you've been at the deathbed of someone and, and said that you need to make sure you have a gap mm. after to talk through mm. things if you've got particularly difficult funerals um it's always worth uh, making sure you have a nice thing or some rest mm. in the afternoon it's, uh, uh, doing funerals for children oh is my gosh hard yeah. work. clear your diary for the week i reckon <laughs> well, yeah. definitely for the day and then a, a slower paced week if you can. I think yeah. I learned that the hard way and I didn't the first time and I ended up cancelling things on the day because I thought oh, I'll be okay. Um, but no, yeah, give yourself the space to, yeah, yeah. think it through, process. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's when, when people ask, you know, why do you like being a priest? I talk about things like this, that actually yeah. you're with people in the best moments of their life and the worst moments. And and I do talk about it as a privilege, 
to walk mm. alongside people in in the stuff that's really tough um mm. and the stuff that's mm. that's joyous and wonderful and one mm. celebrating and then everything in between mm. um with that yeah. um and so after the psalm we head to the vicarage and mm. yeah, we don't having... see the funeral do we i wish we no. did but yeah. yeah i suspect because they don't want to make a mockery of it and don't mm. want to have the funny bits because mm. the funny bits come later and so we head to the vicarage and we're at the wake afterwards and they're there having a drink for Letitia. And do you guys normally go to, if you've done a funeral, do you go to the wake uh, or the, the kind of gathering that happens afterwards most of the time? For me, yes, always, unless I don't get an invitation or there isn't. If I, when I'm meeting the family before, I'll say, oh, is everyone invited? And they say, oh, yes. And quite often they'll say, oh, please come if you're able to. I'll go, oh, that's a real privilege. Yeah, I'd love to be there. Um, and I think it is the place, honestly, where I can say that some of your best conversations and funeral ministry will happen at the wake. But for me personally, I have to say, I do find it really hard. Like when you walk into the room, because you always mm-hmm. arrive later than everyone else because you've had to go and get changed or lock up the church or drive yeah. back from the cemetery or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, to sort of be like, hello, everybody, H- hello. Because um, at first, yeah. you, they, they, people look at you, they're like, oh, I thought your bit was over. And it's like, oh, now the work <laughs> begins. Um, not the work begins, but like it's, yeah, it can yeah. it can feel a bit um, a bit awkward at times. But yeah, I think it's really, really important to go. I yeah I go if if I've quite often if you do the visit people will say oh do come to the do afterwards vicar mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll say if I'm free yeah I'd love to and um, I tend to go if they've invited me again after the funeral um because I think sometimes it can just be a bit of a oh yeah sure better invite the vicar but if mm. if you've had that particular connection with the family or they say yeah do make sure you come along then I do try and make the effort to go mm. along afterwards unless something else is booked in but I do try and keep that space because it is a really good time to talk to people about the person especially yeah, if you've never definitely. met them before and mm. and hear those stories and, yeah, and it photographs. opens other people to to talk about it um although you do see people like, oh gosh, don't let the vicar sit at my table <laughs> yeah. with me. I don't want to speak to the vicar. But Kate, do you go? Yeah. Um, I've got to be really honest. I think this is actually a really weak point in my funeral ministry. I've gotten into a really bad habit of not going unless I'm specifically invited. And often the invitation, if I get an invitation, will come as a after the service is already finished and I've already got something else in my diary um and particularly during covid when I was not exactly isolating but close to um and I guess I've got gotten out of the habit and I had a really bad experience early on I suppose when I was training when I was a curate where I went along with my incumbent and just felt out of place and unnecessary and um i'm working on it i i I want to go to the wakes um the bun fights but i i'm really bad at inviting myself to things yeah um or asking do you Mm. want me to come along maybe i need to start at the visit saying and would you like me to come yeah um 
It's a funny thing, isn't it, grief? Mm. We don't do it particularly well a lot of the time. Mm. Um, mm. But, yeah, I, and it's this scene is part of the reason why I enjoy going because they're all there swapping stories and talking yeah. about Letty slightly inappropriately at times and mm. cheers to Letty and all who sailed and her and all that kind yeah. of thing. But it is it is mm. that place to share those memories and those joys and mm. you know, the happy times shared together. Um, like, yeah. But they're honest about her. Yeah. Which I think, unfortunately, sometimes people, when you're preparing the eulogy for the service or the tribute, whatever you want to call it, People aren't always a hundred percent honest. You do anything for about anyone. Who the person was that phrase. Yeah, every yeah. Um, <laughs> or they'll be honest, but they'll edit. They won't include things like, "Oh, yeah, she was extremely promiscuous." Um, <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't oh, include that. I did a funeral once where, um, at the meeting with the family, they were all like, "Yeah, he was a bit of a so and so." Um, and so I prepared the service in a kind of way of going, right, okay, clearly there's things that need to, people need a chance to grieve, but also mm. to let go of any hatred and anger and that kind of thing mm. they felt towards the person. But when I arrived there, um, a load of this person's mates turned up and were like, oh, it was the best bloke, he was amazing, mm. you know, everyone loved him. And I'm like, oh, crap, my sermon. Mm. <laughs> and, and the service does not shape that. So I had to quickly edit it to do a bit of mm. a bit of both. <laughs> it's really tough, yeah. isn't it? You only know yeah. what you're told and everyone there will have yeah. a different, you know, probably a slightly different, well, definitely a different experience mm. of the person. And it's very yeah. hard writing something. I think this is one of the challenges as well of ministry is mm. writing something about and for somebody that you don't know you uh, to be fair you mm. only have what you've been told so yeah, yeah. those things but yeah but yeah it is why i often encourage someone who knew the person very well to do the tribute mm. or eulogy or at least write yeah. write it for me yeah. to read um maybe edit you know maybe i'll edit it although i there is a particular privilege of talking to a family and gathering the information for a eulogy yeah. um i think it always hits home more if it's done by someone who knew the person because people are more accepting of this is how this person knew them Mm, to be yeah you know this was who they were to the person giving the eulogy but when it's the vicar you often get that sense of well you didn't really know them why are you saying x y and z that's not right Mm. um i think it's a trade-off but um you shape the rest of the service, I think. I mean, as a, as a vicar, you are shaping the whole service yeah. um, to speak to a particular moment um, of grief. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it's hard as well, isn't it? Because often, it's, especially if the, someone's had dementia or, or Alzheimer's mm. or something like that, and the end or the end of life has been a particular struggle. So much of the focus can be on that. And so you mm. forget those other stories of, you know, what were they like on holiday and that mm. kind of thing. Mm. And you were completely right about shaping the service around them. And so talking to people, yes, getting someone else to write the eulogy, I think is really good mm. and because and, they'll word it and they know the stories. Mm. But the rest of it, I try and tie in and especially with us do this episode around Easter with the message of Easter, you know, mm. of... Um, Jesus's death on Good Friday, but then his resurrection on Sunday, and the the hope of mm. eternal life, and that bit where you put your hand on the coffin, 
Mm. Oh, well, this is what I do. Mm. And you send them to God and say, mm. uh, you know, this person is now with God and is in God's care and is in mm. God's keeping. I find such a wonderfully powerful moment and just, a, mm. yeah, a real, it's a joyful moment for me in a weird way of just mm. imagining that person just now in, in front of God and, mm. and God knowing that mm. that person completely and having them in their care. And when the funeral happened for my godmother a few years ago, um, which was a really difficult funeral to do, I think it was the first hymn, and I can't remember exactly what the first hymn was, but it was quite a joyful one. And I suddenly just had a picture of my auntie mm. Lisa in heaven mm. with her Lord, joyously dancing and celebrating and worshipping. And in the midst of a, a very tear-soaked funeral for yeah, lots man. of us, that was a moment of just going, I can I can just see her there in that place. Mm. And yeah, that Easter message of hope and resurrection and being with God. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah very prevalent. That's a right side note from Vicar Dibley. But... Yes, yeah, so I, I have had a similar experience with my granddad, my dad's dad. He was a vicar and he died just before I was ordained. Um, just a few months before and it was a really sad moment for me because I was really looking forward to celebrating that with him Um, but when he passed away um, we had this kind of story my dad was telling and um, kind of sharing it around the funeral I can't remember if it was actually in the funeral but it really shaped how I felt about the funeral and my dad said when my granddad passed um, his suitcase was already packed Mm. almost like he had prepared himself and he was like, right, I'm ready to go now. Oh. I'm prepared. I'm ready. I'm ready to be with God yeah. now. Um, and so for me, although it was sad, I mean, I, I, I really struggled to read. Um, it was Revelations, um, a reading I was given. Um, I saw a new heaven and a new mm. earth. Um, and it was emotional, but I knew that my granddad was where he wanted to yeah. be. He'd already gone. He'd prepared himself mm. and, and gone on his way. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm. And that's the beauty of what funerals can mm. be. And they can be really painful and traumatic for a lot of people, but they can also be such an entrusting... I like the word entrusting for funerals. We're entrusting someone to God. Mm. We're entrusting them to, if they were a person of faith, what they believed was going to happen. Um and entrusting them to what we believe as a God of love and forgiveness and joy and compassion and all of yeah. that. Yeah, I guess that does what it is. That is kind of what makes this episode surprising in some ways because you might think that the Easter episode of the Vicar of Dibley would be a chance to glimpse that and you think, well, how are they going to get round preaching for an entire episode because the message of Easter is so powerful and so amazing. But actually, it turns to, it is very bunny-focused, isn't it? And it's kept light-hearted. Mm-hmm. And it has still has the undertones of, obviously, death and maybe a little bit of what is to come, but not really. The focus is yeah. more, mm-hmm. you know, secular, isn't it, with the Easter bunny and the eggs and... Mm. You, you do have Geraldine say very explicitly in this wake, the true Easter message mm. is that Jesus gives us hope of eternal life in heaven. Mm. And the spirit of literature oh, yeah. in this village. Yeah. So they, they do get yeah. that in there. You know, we, we could gripe and nitpick exactly about 
what the true Easter message is, what Jesus' resurrection means. But that's such a wonderful little summary. Mm. Just put in there without it being too... We've got to remember that this is a comedy for all people, not just for church people. So if they'd gone too hard on death and resurrection... Mm. um, it, it would have really turned people off. Yeah, that would have been really um, so they, they had to include the Easter yeah. They had to include lighter-hearted mm. comedy yeah. around the very real experience of death and hope and eternal life. Yeah, it's oh, cleverly done. So we've had the wake at the vicarage and then the next day we're back with Geraldine who says she should be writing her Easter sermon but she's not. Uh, are we all preaching on Easter Sunday? Indeed. Yes. Have we all written our sermons? Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> Great. Okay, we're in the same place as Geraldine. And uh, instead of writing a sermon, she's uh, mm. trying to make herself some bunny ears and a bunny bottom and uh, has a lot of chocolate eggs about, to which mm. Alice comes in and spots her. Mm. First, we've got David coming in. We think Geraldine's hoarding these Easter eggs and she's looking at them. I think at the start of that scene, she's looking at the Easter eggs and you think, oh, is she about to give in? Has she been hoarding this chocolate? And then Alice, uh, David comes in, she hides them from him and you think, oh, she's trying to hide that she's been breaking her Lenten discipline yeah. and he really doesn't want David to know. Um, and they have their little exchange about Hugo um, potentially being gay, but no reveal... It's okay, David. He's just having lots of lustful thoughts. Not that it would be um, an issue if Hugo... Was not there. that it would be exactly. an issue. And it's nice that um, Geraldine does say that. I think that's important. Yeah. But then David goes away. Alice comes in, tries to confiscate the chocolate. And we have the reveal that actually Mrs. Cropley's deathbed request to Geraldine was to be the Easter Bunny for Dibley. Yeah. But she catches herself because she's watching Alice's face. Yeah. And she says instead... That uh, the Easter Bunny phoned Mrs. Copley <laughs> because mm. he's busy with child services. <laughs> like it is, because he's a <laughs> rabbit, and so that's something that he would uh, mm. need to deal with. And uh, needed someone else to take over the mantle for this one. And so... Geraldine is uh, gets away with a uh, breaking, not breaking Alice's heart, mm. um, and we then see her dressed up mm. in her bunny costume, ready to go and deliver eggs. And I don't know if this has been the case for you guys, but I've found dressing up has been an important part of my ministry over time, and I have had many fancy dress outfits that I've worn for various church bits. I'm dressed up yeah. as a chicken as a detective mouse, uh, various different things. So this is not totally uncommon, dressing up as ridiculous things. Maybe it's just me, because both of you are looking quite blank. I was was a monkey, literally, last week for a party. So, yeah, no, you're right. I'm with you. I I wouldn't say it's a core feature (laughs) of my ministry. I think, for me, I'm more tied up on that she's doing this on Easter morning, where... I mean, I have a 5.30 service. On oh, do you? Dawn oh, service. nice. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I opted into it. Um, so, I mean, I, I personally wouldn't want to get up 
to do that on Easter morning, but good on Jerry. And as she's delivering the eggs, um, we have the big reveal, really, to close the episode, which is Mrs. Cropley as the troll that she was. <laughs> and I'm convinced she was always fully aware of everything she I was doing. I think so as well. And every moment of her deathbed confession was calculated <laughs> to make Geraldine squirm. Um, that she has asked every single person who visited her to become the Easter Bunny, the Dibley Easter. And they bunny. do hint at that, don't they? That they, mm. Jerry later says, mm. yeah, I think she's having a laugh up there. Um, because the mm. assumption is that she's forgotten that she's told everyone. So we bump mm. into David in a bunny outfit and all this kind of mm. thing. Uh, mm. And then, uh, um, what's his name? Owen has got his yeah. inappropriate outfit that is an actual rabbit ear and all this kind of thing, which is just a bit grim. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think Letitia always knew that she's asked all these different people and was having mm-hmm. a chuckle in heaven at ever- this meeting of bunnies mm-hmm. happening <laughs> on Easter morning. And it is actually a fantastic memory for Letitia, a way of um, marking her joy yeah. that mm-hmm. we saw in her character yeah. in all the episodes leading up to to this. So, and there's that really lovely moment, isn't it, as mm. the episode ends, where they're all dressed up as bunnies and having a <laughs> chat and a, a laugh about it all. Mm. And, and, yeah, I hope they wore them for their Easter Sunday service. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she just just kept it on. Cheers to Letitia. Yeah. Cheers to Letitia. God bless that woman. So... The episode finishes, of course, with the classic joke, which I completely understood because uh, I love American football. But Jenny? Um, Do you know what? You guys said to me, did you get the joke? And I said no. And I've just realised why. Because I turned off the episode before we got to the joke. (gasps) I feel like I need to go into the confessional immediately. I was was watching it in a bit of a rush, so I was well prepared for our podcast. And I've just realised... Are you ready for the joke then? No, I didn't even watch it. Didn't even see the joke. Yeah, well, let me tell you it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Who's there? OJ. OJ who? Okay, you can be on the jury. Oh, okay, yeah. Because you had to yeah. not know him, didn't you, to go on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it does date the episode, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, and um, Alice doesn't doesn't get it all because she doesn't know who OJ is. And But then it's dated even more by Geraldine saying... by It's dated even more by Geraldine saying, oh, well, someone more famous like John Major. John Major who was the Prime Minister in the UK at the time. (laughs) And um, OJ uh, was uh, OJ Simpson, who was a famous American football player who uh, did something very bad. Uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Did something very bad and uh, got away with it. I'd, I'd like to finish. So, so I've griped a little bit during this episode. I felt like um, the tone wasn't quite handled right. I felt that the episode wasn't structured well to really give Letitia the best send-off, to give that kind of best emotional punch. I would open similarly, I would open in a, in a similar way, um, with that conversation about the Easter Bunny, Um And actually, I wouldn't change much about how Geraldine is acting, except I would shine a light on her being frustrated 
and struggling with how she's treating people and you know she, she's not being as kind as she is normally i would shine a light on that so that's an actual part intended of the episode a theme to deal with as in geraldine acknowledges it or alice acknowledges it geraldine acknowledges it or someone else okay. makes a comment um i'd make it an actual theme in the episode okay then um in the next few scenes, like, so at the council, I wouldn't change much. I'd still have them giving things up. But I would give Mrs Cropley, I'd give Letitia a little bit more prominence, either as a target or trying to bring her light-hearted um, jokes and, and the way she deals with things and the way she diffuses conflict make that a bit more prominent okay. i'd give her a bit more of a spotlight so that when she's lost we really feel yeah. it more then we'd still have scenes where jerry is hiding chocolate um but we'd actually make it more explicit that she is hoarding chocolate for after easter to gorge herself okay. after easter less about her struggling with chocolate but we'd still have that because she's not having chocolate. She's lost her coping mechanism, but now she's really hanging on to, I'll get through this, and at the end, I'm going to eat all of you precious chocolates, right? And there will be more um, interactions with other people where she's it's comedy, she's hiding the chocolate in strange and weird places. She's throwing it over her shoulder for it to land hidden in a bookcase or whatever, um, setting up some fantastic chocolate-hiding skills. Then um, Mrs. Cropley passes away. Um, it's a shock to the system and you can see Geraldine really struggling with maybe how dismissive she's been of Mrs. Yeah. Cropley okay. leading up to this, of, of Letitia leading up to this. Um, and realising, really, really hitting home that she has lost sight of this important aspect of loving people in ministry and particularly appreciating okay. Letitia. So... Uh, Mrs. Cropley entrusts her right. with being the Easter Bunny, and um, Geraldine takes this really serious takes this really seriously as a way to honour and respect this woman who she really loved. And so then she takes all the chocolate that she has hoarded, um, and uses all those hiding Aww. skills to distribute the chocolate around the village as a blessing to everyone. And that's how I would rewrite the episode interesting it's got very jesus and peter undertones mm. to me do you love me feed my mm. lambs do you know what i mean mm. very interesting yeah with but with with, with <laughs> chocolate yeah We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Vicar's Watch Dibley. Thank you to Toby for editing our ramblings. Any views expressed in this podcast are our own and don't necessarily represent those of the Church of England or any other organisations with which we are affiliated. And as always, bless you for listening. Did you know they just discovered that the Easter Bunny is actually an alien? What? Yeah, he's an extraterrestrial. Oh, very nice. That would explain a lot. Do you know what? That's the first joke you've told that we've actually got as well. <laughs> Yay! <laughs>